You bet, Mark. The subject is faith this morning. And uh, we're wondering if faith is something solid or if it's something that's kind of ethereal and wispy and you can't depend on. Uh, Sometimes people have wondered if they could just go down to the store and buy a bag of faith and uh, somehow get along with that. Our text is from Hebrews chapter 11. And if you want to follow along in... in, um, Uh, your Bible, uh, that would be a a good thing to do. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, the New International Version. It's not so much different from the New American Standard uh, that uh, is is in the back of the chairs. Uh, This is Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll get to 3 and 6 in just a moment. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Uh, Faith, why do we sometimes just miss the obvious? How easy is it to miss the obvious? I know sometimes it just goes right past you, as it does me. A lot of times it's maybe something my wife has said that just zips on by. I was looking at uh, a couple characters in history that I've really loved. Um, Characters written about in novels, etc. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And uh, you remember Sherlock Holmes as, as the uh, uh, intense thinker, able to see things when other people can't, can't see them. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson uh, are out on a camping trip, and after a delightful dinner of uh, burnt sandy chicken, they end up going, going to bed for the night. Um, Sherlock elbows Watson a little later, it's probably two or three in the morning, at this point. And uh, says, uh, Watson, wake up and look up and tell me what you see. And Watson says, well, I see thousands and thousands of stars. Maybe, maybe those are galaxies up there. It, it just unbelievable. And, and what, do you, what do you deduce from that? Holmes says to Watson. Uh, and Watson says, well... Uh, Astronomically, there's thousands and thousands, maybe maybe millions of stars up there. And meteorologically, it's probably going to be a really great day tomorrow. Uh, astrologically, uh, I observe, uh, you know, I don't really believe in this stuff, but I, I observe that Saturn's in Leo. And uh, he stops and he says, well, Holmes, what? What do you make of this? And Holmes just kind of ducks his head for a minute, and then he rolls his eyes. And he says, Watson, somebody stole our tent. <laughs> now, I, just the point of, of how easy it is to miss things that are just right in front of you, or in that case, something that's not right in front of you, but should be there. And I was thinking of that in relationship to faith. Uh, this passage says that faith is being uh, sure of, of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, it, it literally means that faith is a title deed of what we hope for. It's something that's given, that's, that is certain, uh, that, will, that will always be there. In other words, faith in this chapter is spoken of as being incredibly solid and, and certain. 
Some of you uh, know of the uh, uh, philosopher Kierkegaard, and you'll also recognize this statement, uh, a leap uh, of faith. But that's not what he said. But that's what's taught. It's a mistranslation. What he really said was Christianity is a leap to faith. Profound difference over just that little two-letter word change. A leap from something to faith. In other words, a leap from something soft to something solid. I was thinking of of, uh, the times that um, I've seen guys uh, running a 100-meter dash, and I was thinking, how difficult would it be to start without starting blocks and on a greased surface? Or maybe with both your feet in uh, bushel baskets of ripe plums. Uh, Just the, the thought of moving from something that's not very firm and solid to something that is. A leap, in other words, to faith. What are we leaping from? And, of course, we understand that the world that we live in today is fairly unstable. But it has been really unstable throughout history. Uh, in these days, it's, it's an economic kind of instability that's affecting us and affecting many other countries in the world. But there's also that physical instability that we're becoming much more aware of. Maybe it's more pronounced. Uh, the earthquake scenarios, etc., that, that we see, the uh, storms and uh, that unsettled area of, of you know, in, in the physical realm and in the... Uh, uh, emotional realm as well. We're seeing a great deal of instability in the world that we live in. Uh, we see it with our friends, our neighbors, uh, even in our families. That kind of instability, we are moving from to something that's more solid and certain and sure. And that's just the opposite of how I used to think of faith. I thought faith was more like wishful thinking, but that's not what this text is saying. It's saying that you actually have a... a, The word for for being sure is the word title deed. And you know what a title deed is. If you have that in your hand, you own the place. You own the house. You have the the, uh, uh, absolute assurance that that belongs to you at that point. Faith in this passage is uh, in the uh, noun form. Uh, it's the uh, content of, of what we believe and what we understand. It's used elsewhere in Scripture in the, in the verb form, which is translated believe. And so we're to believe certain things. But we're to believe certain things, and the certain things are the content in which uh, we put our stock, in which our, our faith is. The third verse reads on in chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's a really interesting sense, particularly from a a kind of a scientific viewpoint or background. Uh, Are things made out of things that haven't been seen, can't be seen, still are not able to be seen? And we know that that's the case today. They didn't necessarily know that that was the case then. But science has uncovered things that we can't see with just our eyes and uncovered things that we can't see even with 
a microscope or an electron microscope for that matter. We know they're there because we see their actions around. We'll later read that uh, this uh, world that we live within was, was uh, formed not just as at God's command, but as He spoke, these things came into being. The universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I remember the first time that someone tried to convince me that uh, a chair wasn't really solid. You know, that it wasn't, you know, it was mostly air. And some of you may need convincing today because it feels pretty solid and it looks like it will support me, etc. But it's only because the, the tiny molecules are held together by, by forces that uh, uh, none of us really understand very well and we have trouble explaining to people. Things that we can't even see, I'm actually sitting on at this point. And they're together in such a group and held together by such a force uh, that it, it seems to us to be incredibly stable as well. Verse 6 in chapter 11 goes on to say, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly uh, seek Him. Um, what does it mean when, when we uh, think about the universe being formed at, at, at God's command? Uh, it's, it's a hard thing to contemplate. Uh, we have no experience uh, of that ourselves, of being able to speak something into existence. Psalm 19 speaks of this universe that God has created, and it reads uh, from David's writing, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech." Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. You know, and, and what is that voice saying? That uh, visual voice that we look at and see all around us, including the earth that we live on, the uh, immense number of stars and galaxies in the skies. Uh, what is that voice actually saying to us? This passage says that it's declaring uh, the glory of God, who He is, um, why, uh, even why we're made. And I suspect that it's to understand that that's there. But other people don't see that. They miss it. Uh, like Watson missed the tent uh, being gone. In a very similar fashion, uh, we look at the things around us and we do not see God's hand. In Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul writes about this same thing, that God can be known, uh, perhaps should be known. Uh, it talks about God's anger, His wrath being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then he goes on to ex explain what this truth is that we have a tendency to suppress. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that men are without excuse. Now, what kinds of things are available for us to see which illustrate to us that there is a God that is behind it? I've worked in the sciences for for numbers of, of years and, and uh, involved in research, etc. And I, I worked with numbers of guys that were actually Christians, but numbers of guys that claimed to be atheists. And we would look at the same things, the identical types of things, and uh, we'd come up with a totally different opinion. Geraldine, could we have that second slide? Now, I, this is a, a picture of, uh, first of all, just a, a motor, an electric motor on top. And don't worry about not being able to read uh, the uh, words. The, the words there are not important. They're labels that label also the electric motor on the bottom as well. But the profound thing here is the electric motor that is on the bottom has the same kinds of components that uh, our invention has. Uh, at the uh, uh, the one on the top, of course, we have this rotor that comes out of the front. We have a, a stator that winds around the, the uh, uh, shaft of, of the rotor. And uh, uh, in, in addition, we have uh, uh, the bearings, etc., that make that motor run smooth, and it turns at uh, very high RPMs. Um, in nature, we find the same thing, but... It, very much in miniature. As a matter of fact, this is an electron micrograph of a flagella from an Escherichia coli, a little tiny bug that caused a whole lot of damage to a whole lot of people uh, over this last year. And you remember E. coli, perhaps. But this is, comes from a flagella. The motor that runs that, that uh, little bug around and causes so much problem is like this. And that thing has been around now for a lot of years. Way longer than the electric motor up above. But it has the identical components and runs from the identical kind of propulsion. Isn't that interesting? Now, who made that second thing? Who made that flagella? And then thousands of years later, we humans come up with the idea and think we're original. We've missed something, haven't we? I mean, it's a, it's a radical missing of something. Uh, that particular flagella on, on an E. coli turns at about 17,000 RPMs. Uh, there's a, a Vibrio bacteria that actually turns upwards of 100,000 RPMs. But did you know it stops in nanoseconds? Stops from 100,000 RPM to nothing. But it's not destroyed. It remakes itself. It repairs itself. <laughs> no motor that you've ever had <laughs> repaired itself. And I look at that, and I look at thousands of other examples. The human eye among those examples, for instance. And I immediately say, somebody built that. Somebody put that together. But my friends would say, no. There doesn't have to be a God involved in that. That's just wishful thinking on your part. Um, it's, it's just not the case. This passage in, in Romans says that God has made it plain to them because God has made it plain. What can be known about Him is plain because God has made it plain. This, to me, is fairly plain. 
as I see the uh, amazing things that God has put together, uh, it just seems incredibly easy to see. Yet so many of my friends uh, don't buy that. This passage in Romans chapter 1 goes on to say this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And isn't that the case? They exchanged the truth of God, what He has made plain, for a lie and begin to worship the things that they make. What God says in His Word are the created things. Other things that God has created are wonderful things, but they don't deserve worship. But we worship them, including, of course, worldwide. Uh, it might be something like a cow or a tree. Uh, we might even, uh, in a, our westernized society, just choose to worship ourselves, become self-confident, and uh, able to uh, displace God or repress the ideas, exchange the truth for a lie that I'm more important than who He is and what He is. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about faith. It's talking about substance that is there, something that is real, more real than this kind of substance that we see. It's a... Uh, Something that requires our attention uh, to, a, to a great degree. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, that uh, talks about uh, faith as well. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, who is a, a, an author and speaker and a, a, really a wonderful teacher with Ligonier Ministries, has said that the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. Did you follow that? It's not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. In other words, do you believe what God says? Now, here it touches home, not to the atheist, but to the Christian, to the one that says he or she believes. But does our belief result in action based on what God, God has said, what God has told us. Um, this passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reads like this. Verse 5, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That has to do with that title deed that God has given us in faith that is substantial. Therefore, we are always competent and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. Some passages read, we walk by faith, not by sight. Don't we demand to be able to see in order to believe? I, th I think that's true. We, we want to touch and feel. You remember uh, Thomas in Scripture saying, hey, if I, if I don't touch and see what has gone on with the Lord, 
Uh, I'm not going to believe he was raised from the dead. And that's like all of us. We would all be in those shoes in, to some degree or another. Particularly when things get to be very hard and difficult. Then we have a tendency to want to be able to touch and see rather than just trust God's judgment without knowing what His judgment is. The question, I guess, that we're faced with is, is there enough, not just in Scripture, but in the, that has been generally revealed to us in the world around and has been specifically revealed to us through His Word? Is there enough there for me to trust God in the areas where He does not let me in on what He's thinking? Of course, reasonably, I should, I should agree that even if he did let me in on what he was thinking, I probably wouldn't be able to understand it. I wouldn't be able to comprehend it. Can you imagine what people would have thought if he had introduced the concept of an electric motor, you know, two, three, four, five thousand years ago? They wouldn't have even thought he was forward-looking. They would have thought it was crazy. But that's the way he's designed numerous things around the world. Things that we can't understand simply because we can't see them. And we don't think they exist because we can't see, touch, or feel. So when God suggests that you um, live a certain way, then I, I say, well, God, God must be right, but it won't feel good to do that. It won't... Uh, be necessarily a, a really good thing for me to do that. I'm beginning to want to walk more by faith than just by my sight. But you have to begin to know Him, know the one that knows in order to do that. You have to begin to look uh, with eyes of faith, which I think begin to see differently. Uh, as well, some examples of that, of course, is a, a, a guy like Abraham, um, who was asked to sacrifice his son, and this is directly in contradiction to everything that God has said about human sacrifice. He has said that that's that's not what we do; it's abhorrent to me. He says elsewhere in Scripture, and yet he asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and what does Abraham do? But he says, "Man, I don't understand." God must have something going on in order to require me to, uh, to do this. And, and of course, uh, God supplies a ram in a thicket, you remember, and, and uh, Abraham is um, declared righteous, not because of what he has done in following God, but righteous because of whom he believes. But he's found that God is believable, even if he doesn't understand uh, others that you can think of, of course, Moses, uh, David. Moses, of course, here's a, here's a voice from a burning bush which suggests to them that he goes back, um, puts his life on the line in Egypt again, and uh, then convinces the Pharaoh to let a million and some odd people go. Are you going to believe every voice that comes out of a bush? I mean, would you believe One. Uh, you would examine your own sanity, wouldn't you, at that point? Uh, but Moses and God have a track record together. And Moses knows the one that knows. David. 
The army of Israel looked at, at Goliath through the eyes of man and simply said that this nine-foot-tall giant was too big to beat. And so they cowered back. And David, who had, uh, had some run-ins with uh, various wild animals, a bear and a lion, we're told in Scripture, previous to this, and was still a very young man, had been anointed as, as king over Israel, but had not been placed in that position at this point in time. David looks at Goliath through the eyes of God and simply says he's too big to miss. He just sees it differently. Remarkably differently. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We read, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard uh, through the Word of Christ. Well, we don't often hear what has been said, particularly when God speaks. We just don't hear it. We might hear the voice. We might even hear the words, but then we decide what it means. Uh, it may have plain meaning. As God has said, He has made things plain to us, spoken plainly to us. I used to reinterpret everything my mom said as I was growing up, and she'd sit me down and said, now, what did I say? And I'd parrot it back to her, and she'd say, she would say, now, what did I mean? Which is a really good thing for a mom to follow up on with a, with a kid or a wife with a husband. And uh, I was thinking of, of illustrations of this. Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt uh, was an interesting president, and, and he loved doing things that were just a little out of the ordinary. He got sick and tired of just smiling and saying the same nice things at receptions, presidential receptions, where people would come down the line, they'd shake his hand, and He'd smile and say something very kind to them. They'd smile and say something very kind to him. He got very tired of that. So at this one particular gathering, he decided that he'd smile and shake hands and say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. This is a true story. So he did this. And people would come to the line and say things like, well, how lovely. And, uh, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. It's wonderful. Um, it, one guy finally came through, the only diplomat that said anything out of the ordinary, and, and uh, Franklin said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And he said, without skipping a beat, I'm sure she deserved it. <laughs> when we think about coming to faith, now we are coming to a, a body of belief. Uh, the author of Jude calls it the once delivered unto the saints kind of faith. Uh, the uh, uh, concept of, of uh, God creating us and, and having a prayer claim on our lives, of Jesus Christ coming in, in the flesh and, and living here, uh, being crucified, uh, the concept of the atonement, um, His resurrection, His ascension, his coming again. This is all part of the content of faith. What, when, when we say we're going to believe, that's what we're going to believe. The action step of putting that together, and they come together, both the noun and the verb seem to always be together, um, is an action step that God wants us to take. Um, 
Here in, in Romans chapter 10, where Scripture says that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Um, then I, God is asking, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19 is quoted here. Yes, they've heard. Yes, they've heard. But faith comes from hearing the message. And I, I, we're, again, you know, we, we have these illustrations in each of our lives where we hear something, but we don't respond to it. Um, we had a, a golden retriever that knew exactly where the cutoff point was for obedience as far as distance away from us. And uh, he would run a half a block out and we'd say, come. And he would turn around and come back. Half a block and a step or two, just out of sight. You know, and, and I, I didn't quite hear you. One of the interesting things in the, in the Hebrew language, I'm told, is that um, hearing and doing come from similar root word. So when God asks us if we hear us, if we hear Him, rather, um, He expects us to be involved in a response, in the, in the doing of those kind of things. When I, when I say to God, yeah, I hear you, do I really? This passage again in Romans chapter 10 says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That is, people that have heard but don't respond. In Luke chapter 8, um, this little catchphrase is, is uh, said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It also says that this is an unwilling and deaf people. A, a population that uh, is unwilling to do, even if they do hear, and are acting like they're deaf, um, I suppose so that they can say, you know, I never, I, I never heard. This isn't fair. But we serve a God that is a just God. A God that not only wants a relationship with us, but has made a way for us to come into relationship with Him. First of all, He has made us in His image so that we can understand and comprehend the things that He wants for us to understand and comprehend. A good portion of that is directly in His Word. So when He speaks to us, we can understand and we can listen and we can begin to apply. I came to um, a faith uh, when I was probably eight years old and, and I did not understand very much but I understood that God loved me and wanted me in His family. There was a passage of Scripture that uh, was important to me as a kid. You know, and the disciples are gathered around Jesus and they're upset at the fact that He's going to be going away and they don't understand that and they don't understand why, why He has to do it this way, etc. And He simply responds to them by saying, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. And then he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
You know, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, that means that I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you can be too. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, I, I, a God that hurls the universe into existence just by speaking wants you and me in that close a relationship to live together with us for eternity. You know, I, I thought when, when Alicia and I got married, you know, we were both asking this question of ourselves on our wedding day. You know, I, this is a pretty lengthy commitment. Uh, you know, how am I supposed to be able to make that kind of decision? I look at Alicia and, and uh, I asked her this later and she said, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> you know? and, and we were both smiling at each other at that time. Um, Fortunately, during our wedding, there was a, a, a bridesmaid that just came completely unglued and was just crying and weeping and wailing. I, and Lish and I just started laughing about the whole situation. And, they, and the two pastors that married us, which means we were really glued together, the two pastors that married us almost stopped the ceremony because they didn't think we were taking it seriously. Well, after... Forty-some-odd years of uh, marriage. Uh, Alicia still takes it very seriously. <laughs> and, and I'm really working on it. That kind of faith step is, was based on our limited knowledge of each other at that point in time. But we assumed that it was enough to know who we were. Wrong assumption. The right assumption would be, I know the God that she believes in and trust. She knows the God that I believe in and trust. And because of Him, we'll be continually drawn closer and closer together over a long period of time because He doesn't change. And even though my emotions flow up and down and the commitment of faith sometimes follows those emotions rather than the fact of God's commitment to you and I. The only thing that can keep us together, the only thing that can keep us together, the only thing that can keep Christians throughout history together with God is God. He is the substantial one. C.S. Lewis called Jesus Christ love himself, but we could also call him faith himself as well in this sense. That he is the one that we leap to. From underpinnings that are shaky and not firm to one that is certain and sure. Let me close with prayer. Father, I am thankful for your guidance in our lives. Uh, if we're making yourself plain to us in the, in the thousands of ways that you have done this. Help us to realize, Father, that all our efforts to the contrary are, are just the idea, as, as Paul has said, exchanging the truth for a, for a lie. When we try to run from you, as David said, where can we go? 
I appreciate it, Lord, that you have told us that you've placed us in your hand. And you have a tight grip on us. And we'd ask you, Father, in our sane moments, not to let us go. And then we trust your statement that you will never, never, never leave us or forsake us. And it's with joy that we pray, because we believe that. And our belief is going to result in action, walking as you want us to walk. Help us to do that, Father. Lead us by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.